All right, over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing the biblical responsibility of fathers toward their children. From Ephesians 6, verse 4. I want to start off with not one, but two quotes. Vodi Bauckham said, If parents have raised their children to be great doctors, lawyers, athletes, or musicians, but have not trained them to honor and obey God, they have failed. And then I saw yesterday a tweet at 517, thinking it was Vody himself who tweeted it. It turns out it was just a friend of mine who tweeted something he said probably years ago. But I, it was appropriate. He said, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, so sports people, tune in. If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eye on Christ, I have failed as a father. Yeah. Ephesians 2.10 says that there are good works that have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And what we must see and have a strong conviction is that for, for those of us who are parents or for those of us who aspire to be parents, paramount, chief among these prepared beforehand works is to faithfully and diligently parent one or two or three or four or, in some cases, more children and to disciple them over the course of 18 years, give or take, while they are under our roofs and to lead them to Jesus and to train them in his ways. That is paramount. Now, if the greatest thing we can do is to lead them to Jesus and to train them to walk with Jesus and to trust Jesus, then it would be logical that we must not do anything to hinder that walk. And as parents entrusted with this sacred responsibility of training our little ones in godliness, we must not undermine that mission by leading our children further into their own sin. Which is exactly why Paul has given fathers a restraint in their God-given authority as leaders and as heads of the family. Fathers have been given a restraint in this verse as with regards to their authority and their leadership. As those being tasked with being leaders, spiritual tutors, instructors, guides, ambassadors and representatives of Christ to their children. Fathers are to be seeking to aid their children in hating their sin and to putting off their, we could say, their little old man, because they're still little, and putting on the little new man, and Paul understands something here. He understands how easily that effort is shot in the foot when fathers abuse their power, abuse their authority, and subsequently become a source of discouragement 
frustration and failure to their children rather than being a wellspring of assistance, confidence, and success. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be helping our children walk in godliness, and we work against that when we provoke them to ungodliness. We work against that when we provoke them to sin and to anger and to exasperation. Now, two weeks ago, we covered a number of ways, a non-exhaustive number of ways in which we can provoke our children to ungodliness. We can be harsh and unbending with them. We can, be, we can be totalitarians in our family. We can be, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we can be unclear in our communication to them so that they really don't know what our expectations are. We can be impatient and angry with them. We can be constantly short with them. We can be unforgiving and ungracious. We can be unreasonable. We can have unreasonable expectations, demands, and standards. We can be critical. We can be pessimistic, never praising them, never affirming them. We can neglect them. We can be absent in body or absent in mind. We can be distracted and make other things, other activities, other people the priority instead of them. We can be legalistic. We can, we can make it understood that our relationship with them is performance-based. If they do not meet our standards, then we will not be happy with them. And then we can be hypocritical. We can have a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do manner of authority. And as I said, this, is not, this was not exhaustive. Even, even in the, the, the following week, there were a number, number of things that I did and then said to myself shortly after, well, I could have added that to the list. But I, I, I just wanted to quickly run through those again because I want you to I want us to think about these sinful carnal negative qualities do these things sound like the Lord Jesus in the slightest bit yes or no no thank you on the contrary all of these qualities from the first to the last and all of the all of the ones that we could have listed but didn't are completely unlike Jesus. I mean, and just imagine we could have, we could pull we could have brought the apostles in if if they were alive. We could we could have brought his disciples and or, or the ladies who followed him, who knew Jesus, who were around Jesus, and we could ask them, "What was Jesus like this, or was he like that?" And they would say, uh, uh, assuredly, they would say, "Oh no, he's not like those things in the slightest bit. He was he was always kind." With us, He was always approachable. He took the time to explain what he meant. He was very patient with me. He was very gracious, not only with his friends, but with his enemies. He was never irritable, and it took a lot to make him angry. And even when he got angry, it was a controlled anger. 
He embodied what it meant to not let the sun go down on one's anger. He, he, was, he wasn't unreasonable. He wasn't critical. He wasn't cynical. And he certainly didn't neglect us. Was he legalistic? Absolutely not. If, if his love and commitment to us was based on whether or not we upheld and maintained a certain standard, well, let me tell you something. He would have dropped us a long time ago. Was he a hypocrite? Absolutely not. He practiced what he preached, every jot and tittle. Now, if we are to train and to lead our little ones to know this Jesus and to walk with him, you can, I, I think you can see then how our tendency to sometimes not represent him very well, to sometimes act and speak contrary to him, to sometimes have a character that doesn't quite line up. You can see how these things would undermine our goal if our goal is in fact to lead them to and train them to walk with Jesus. So, with, with the understanding that this is a clear hindrance, this is a clear bump in the road, Paul says, don't undermine that goal. Don't provoke your children in their sin. They already have their own sinful nature that they're dealing with. Is that a surprise to anybody? No. They already have an inclination to sin. You don't have to teach them to sin. In fact, your job is to teach them to not to sin. So don't go adding fuel to the fire by provoking them to more and greater and deeper sin. Paul says don't do that. And if you are doing it, stop it. Don't provoke your children to anger. That's what... He says in the first half of verse 4, he then adds, concluding verse 4, he says, but, so don't do this, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, these two words, discipline and instruction, they are really two sides of the same coin, and I'm not going to dedicate a lot of time to this. Discipline is really the, um, the, the positive way of teaching and instructing somebody, either just blatantly telling them beforehand what to believe, what to do, how to act, and so on and so forth. Uh, the word for instruction here uh, has the idea of admonition or uh, correcting, rebuking, admonishing, and, and really carries the idea of responding to something that needs to be corrected. And so you can see how those two just, they fit together. And there are, there are things in life we can learn either by being told the first time, or we can learn by being reprimanded and told a second, third, fourth, and so on time. But what I wanted to focus, instead of those two words, I wanted to focus on the word... In Greek, it's bring them up. In English, it's three words. In Greek, it's one word. And it's the same word Paul has used just a few verses earlier when he charged, in in chapter 5, when he charged husbands to nourish their own wives. Nourish your own wife 
as you do your own body. That word for nourish, it's the same word for raise them up here. And we said several weeks ago that the word nourish, it it means to provide what is needed for growth and to tend to, to care for, to nurture, to cultivate. And so you, you, you can see in, in, a, in a gardening sense, I know some of you have green thumbs. Some of you like to be out in the garden and to cultivate. In, in that sense, it's more, this word for nourish, it's more, or to raise up, it's more than just the mere act of going to Ace Hardware and getting a big bad, bag of stinky fertilizer and bringing it home and plopping it on the table and going... Ta-da! The great provider has provided again. And then not doing anything else. To, to nourish or to, to raise up is more than that. This, has the, this word has the idea of, of taking that fertilizer, taking that, that potting soil or, or whatever, that nutrient-rich stuff that, that provides what is needed for growth, it's taking it out of the bag and pouring it into the ground and then working it into the soil so that the soil and the plant is getting the nutrients that it needs. It is taking an active hand, an active participation so that you're not only providing what is needed, but you are, you are working it in so that growth comes. And what we must see is that raising children up is more than just providing a roof over their heads. More than just putting food in the fridge, powering their appliances, their iPads, their switches. Dads, we have a biblical responsibility to nurture our kids to maturity. We don't just provide them with stuff. We nurture them to maturity and i love that picture of richard uh, richard phillips quotes in his book masculine mandates that we ought to have our hands covered and stained in soot and oil and uh, not oil soil mud and soot and grime from the regular ongoing pattern of of having our hands in their hearts in their lives day to day. And it's not just enough that we raise and nurture them to maturity, that is, to raise them to be respectable, contributing, positive, decent members of society. Because even pagans have that expectation. The biblical expectation for Christian fathers laid on their big manly shoulders is this that they train and instruct their children to maturity in the Christian faith. It's not enough that we raise our kids to be decent members of society. We raise them, we train them, we instruct them in the matters of the faith, to maturity in the faith. Now, am I saying that fathers are responsible for their kids being saved? I got two people going, I don't think so, but I'm not going to say it any louder than that. No, we're not. What I am saying is that fathers are, one, 
responsible for their kids being adequately exposed to the things of God. And two, that fathers are responsible to help their kids understand what they've been exposed to. Fathers are, at the very least, responsible that their children have been exposed to and educated and have had the basic biblical fundamental truths explained to them truths about God, truths about the world, truths about who and what they are, so that they can make their own response to that body of truth. Pastor, where are you getting that? Well, Romans 10:14. How then, and this is speaking just towards preaching in general, towards ministry in general, but it's applicable towards our kids too. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And so dads, in the context of your family, you are the preacher. And so then the goal is to adequately and sufficiently expose your children to the Bible. Or are you pointing at him? Thumbs up? That's right. See, she likes this. Our goal is to expose, adequately and sufficiently expose our children to the Bible, to the broad body of biblical truth, and to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the central figure to which the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, points to. Now, does this sound like a big task? Or is it a simple task? Big task or simple task? Big task. Thank you. It, we're, we're not completely Baptist. We are Baptist-ish. So you are allowed to respond. This is a big task. And so there are four practical ways that we can carry this out. Carry out this profoundly heavy task. First, lead them through the Bible sequentially. Lead your children through the Bible sequentially. And what that means is read, that, read with them, lead them through book by book at a time. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And not by popcorn reading. What's, what's popcorn reading? Popcorn reading is where you open up, you open up the Bible and, uh, you know, Judas went and hung himself. Okay, uh... Go and do likewise. Oh, okay. Well, not good. That, that's, that's the illustration of popcorn reading I've heard. So just randomly opening up, not being aware of the context, not being aware of how an argument is raised and built and the application. Lead them through the Bible sequentially. Now, Josh Neamey, who wrote Expository Parenting, and I, cu- I could have just uh, summarized this book and preached it, but... Um, I'm quoting from him, I think, once or twice. But I want to give these four copies to anyone who, will, who doesn't yet have one. This is a, an immensely practical book. Who, who would like one? Okay, I'm going to leave them right here. Oh, Pastor left his pulpit. Josh Neamey says in this book... 
it should go without saying. But if you want to give your kids knowledge and love for the Bible, then you must teach them the Bible. Does that shock anybody? If you want your kids to know the Bible, teach them the Bible. He says there are no shortcuts. There isn't a top ten list of things from the Bible that are really important. The reality is your children need to know all of it because all of it is important. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. How much to sit... How much of Scripture does 2 Timothy 3.16 says is inspired and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and training in righteousness? How much? Shazam! He continues, make sequential exposition, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Make sequential exposition. And all exposition means is you read it and then you explain it. Make sequential exposition the number one priority in your home in order to deliver all of God's words. Whether you sit on the couch in the evening, gather the family at the dinner table, or set aside time right before bed, the process is straightforward. Open up the Bible to where you left off the day before, read and explain the passage to your children, and call them to obey its implications in your lives. Now, What he says following is the most profound and I think perhaps the most effective way to really dial you in to making and establishing good habits and disciplines. Are you ready for this? You you should probably write this down. The next day, do it all over again. Don't, he says, don't stop. Keep going doing it maybe someone here is thinking well they won't understand it i mean there's some big words in the bible i don't even understand some of these big words well maybe maybe they won't understand it at first but they will over time especially as you make regular exposition regular exposure to the scripture part of their daily lives and they are allowed to soak in biblical truth bit by bit you want to train you want to raise up your children in the instruction and discipline of the lord lead your children through the bible sequentially second is to use christian catechism christian catechism and Nehemiah defines it as this a set of doctrinal questions and answers that provide a basic theological framework of Christianity. Maybe you've heard, you know, maybe you have a Roman Catholic background and you've heard this term catechism and you thought, well, I, I thought the Catholics had, had a, a sole claim to this word. They, they don't. They don't. We, we can use it too. A set of doctrinal questions and answers that provide a basic theological framework of Christianity. And this really complements sequential reading through the Bible because this is a more systematic approach that really complements and builds upon reading through whole units of the Bible. Catechism involves asking your children simple fundamental questions like, who is God? Who and what is man? And what is sin? 
And what must I do to be saved? And it builds up to more mature but equally fundamental questions like how can a just God justify a sinner? How can a righteous God who who knows that the sinner who's standing before him is a sinner, how can God call and declare that person righteous? Catechism's a way to answer to, to train your kids to be able to answer that question. For each of these questions, your children aren't being asked to come up with an answer on their own, on the spot. They are reciting a biblical answer that has been provided for them. And by giving them the answers and asking them to recite question and and then give a corresponding answer, they are, with your guidance, with your assistance, they are building for themselves a biblical framework for understanding biblical theology. And here's where the beauty of catechism comes in. With, with this framework having been laid over the course of weeks and months and years, when you're reading through the narrative of the Bible and theology comes up, your child benefits then from the groundwork that has already been laid And there's already some familiarity they have with this doctrine. And rather than trying to grasp a concept that's entirely new and foreign to them, something they've never heard before, they now have something familiar that they can work with. And they're better equipped to understand what what the passage is saying. Catechize your children. Third, Have your family faithfully and actively involved in a local church body. Have your family faithfully and actively involved in a local church body. Furthermore, have your children sit in with you in the worship service. I I just want to be clear, based on what I said a couple weeks ago, I am not opposed to youth groups if they're done well. I am very much opposed to youth groups if they're done poorly. But if they're done well, I think they're fantastic. But they are often not done well. It is a relatively new trend in the history of Christianity. And especially when they're not done well, they often lead young people to not feeling like they belong in the main worship service. And so you not only be committed to faithfully and active involvement in the church, but you bring your kids in with you, you have them sit beside you in the worship service, and you expose them to what church life is like so that when they take their first steps as as a budding adult, freshly graduated from high school, And they take their first steps as a strapping young man or a beautiful young lady. And they step through those doors. Not as children anymore, but as young adults. They don't feel like they're in a completely foreign place. Because you've you've given them a taste of what it's like. Show them the joys of singing to the Lord and making melodies of your heart during 
during the worship. Show them the joy and the stability that comes with having rich, meaningful relationships with the Lord's people. Show them how encouraging it is to to see the Lord using you to enrich someone else's life or vice versa. Especially when it's someone else who from a, you know, from a worldly perspective, you might have been, you know, if, if it weren't for the church, you might have been less inclined to be involved in their life, to have any concern for them, to have any involvement or interaction with them. Show your kids what it means to be confronted with Scripture. Show them what it means to be changed by sitting under the reading and the explaining and the exhorting of the Word of God, not, not just when they're at the dinner table or on the couch, but when they're in the pew or, in our case, nicely padded chairs. Show them the peace that you feel every communion when we take special time to remember the Lord taking our place when we take special time and we slow down and we stop and we take special occasion to be mindful that his body was broken and his blood was shed for the remission of, of mom and dad's sins and for our sins. Show your kids the gratitude for the Lord saving someone that you've come to know about, someone you've come to care about when at their baptism they make a personal profession of God's saving grace upon their life, and they make that profession publicly. If you, wanna, if you want your children to see how the Lord provides for His people through the local church body, bring your children to church and be faithfully and actively involved in that church body. Lastly, and this is not exhaustive, but I think these are the core ways to raise up your kids in the faith. Model your faith. Model your faith. Model the Christian walk for your children. You yourself should be working towards the very thing that you are hoping your children will be working towards. In Second Timothy 3, 10 and following, the by now the aged Apostle Paul, the withered, withered, battered, tired Paul. It says to his son in the faith, Timothy, his protege, he says, Now you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned. Continue in the things you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. In his final, final words to 
this precious young man in his life, Paul appeals to the fact that Timothy has not only received Paul's teaching, Paul's doctrine, but he has also witnessed and received Paul's example. Through his conduct, his actions, his attitude, his character, his patience, his perseverance, his actions and his reactions to what was done towards him. He says, in effect, remember what you have learned. Remember what I have said. Remember what I have done. Not only did Paul teach Timothy the Christian faith, he modeled for Timothy the Christian life. Nehemiah says in another chapter, he not only taught Timothy how to live as a Christian, he also showed Timothy how to live as a Christian. Paul delivered both the content of the Christian faith as well as the character of the Christian faith to his disciple. You want to do you want to raise your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord? Then model the very instruction and discipline of the Lord yourself. Maybe you might have remembered or caught when I said two weeks ago that I wanted to tie back to how the last point we covered, hypocrisy, how that correlates to the positive aspect of raising our kids up. Here's a a quote from John Piper, a former pastor of Bethlehem Church. He says this, The greatest stumbling block. The greatest stumbling block to children's worship is this, parents who do not cherish their own worship. Parents who, if I can just interject, parents who employ a uh, worship as I say, not worship as I do approach. The greatest stumbling block to children's worship is parents who do not cherish their own worship. They do not love it. And here's something you can tw- that'll tweet. Children can feel the difference between duty and delight. They know whether or not dad loves being here. You you can you can fool mostly most of the time you can fool pastor and you can probably fool the people beside you. You can't fool your kids. They see you day in, day out. They can tell when you're generally thrilled about something, when you're genuinely engaged and when you're faking. They can tell. They know whether or not dad loves being here. So, says Piper, the first and most important job of a parent is to fall in love with the worship of God. If you go to church out of duty feel forced to, or have any reason other than a love for being there, your kids will know. And they will hate it just like you do. You cannot impart what you do not possess. You want your children to catch authentic worship? 
Authentic, heartfelt worship is the most valuable thing in human experience. You cannot calculate the cumulative effect of 650 some odd worship services spent with mom and dad between the ages of 4 and 18 in authentic communion with God and his people. Your children will catch whatever you have a passion for by watching what you enjoy day after day, week after week, year after year. So if your kids see you praying, not just at the not just at the dinner table, not just at on the couch during family devotion, but if your parent if your kids see you praying when you're in the office, when you're in the kitchen, when you're in the garage, when you're outside raking the leaves, when you're alone and not aware that they see you, when when you pray in such a way that that this tells you this is who mom and dad are. This is who dad is. This is what dad's about. This is what dad really believes about prayer and the place of prayer and the God to whom dad prays to. That impacts your kids. When they see that for 12 plus years, that will impact them. If they saw a mom and dad singing with emotion, and like I said, you know, we're Baptist-ish. I'm sure we're all aware that within our circles, we don't really, you know, get into it. We kind of mumble through, you know, you know, you know, I know that you know. And you know that I know that you know. So not mumbling, but smiling. Maybe even swaying a little bit. Now, don't get, don't get carried away. Don't push it. Don't push the envelope, but... If mom and dad, if, if, if your children saw mom and dad engaged and participating and smiling and singing and within reason swaying, that will impact them. John Piper said that millions of children never see their parents sing even more never see their ch- parents praise God with their voice. And when I, when I read that, I was like, you know what? I, don't, I cannot recall my dad ever singing in church. I'm sure his mouth moved. I'm sure he went along with it, but I, I, I can never remember him doing it. I have no memory of that. Millions of children never sing never see their parents sing, even more, never see their parents themselves praise God with their voice. If they saw mom and dad being moms and dads of the book, oh, how that would impact them. If they saw mom and dad reaching for their Bible half the time that they reached their, for their phone to scroll through social media, that would impact them. If mom and dad talked about the things of God, if they, mom and dad talked about the peace that they have in Jesus since Jesus bled and died for mom and dad, that would impact, that would certainly impact your kids. You want to raise your kids in the instruction and discipline of the Lord? Model 
your faith to your kids. Now, I want to give two words of encouragement. The first is this. Because we understand this is, this is weighty. And that's, this is one of the reasons why I really, I, I, I would, if you don't have that book, please take it. It's a free gift. One of them even has a custom coffee spill on the side of the spine. Normally you have to pay for that. This, this time it's free. But Josh Neamey understands this is a lofty thing. This is a task in which most parents just stare at, at, at this burden, at this responsibility, like a cow stares on an oncoming train. And you don't even know where to begin. So most often, you don't begin anywhere. And you just, you just you, you entrust the, this instruction to the youth pastor or, or to the children's ministry leader. And whether it's out of fear or, or ignorance of where to begin, many parents just don't begin. Well, he gives you practical steps. And he also uh, provides encouragement. And one of them is this. Not to get discouraged when the day-to-day progress doesn't measure up to your expectations. Don't get discouraged when the day-to-day progress when, when the change from Monday to Tuesday or from Tuesday to Wednesday or even from week to week doesn't seem to be bearing fruit or showing progress. Rome wasn't built in a day. And any, any worthy endeavor takes time. So, the encouraging word is this. Play the long game. Play the long game. Take the, take the long view. Take it one day at a time. Do your best each day. Do your best to be consistent, as consistent as you can. And when you make mistakes, because you will make mistakes. I've, I make mistakes. When you make errors, own them. Apologize to the appropriate people. Forgive and show grace when mistakes and errors are made towards you. And remain committed to the goal of raising your kids to be disciples and entrust the end results to the Lord. And if you want a picture of what that looks like, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a billion trillion times better of an instructor and teacher than anyone in this room will ever be, even after three years of daily discipleship till almost the very end, his disciples were still dull and numbskulls. And so don't be discouraged when you, who are nowhere near the Lord Jesus in your capacity to teach and to disciple, don't feel discouraged when you have results that are less Effective as his. Remain committed to the goal of raising your kids to be disciples and entrust the end results to the Lord. Don't get discouraged. Play the long game. The other, the other word of encouragement, and this, is, this will be my closing note, is this. We believe that the scriptures say that Christ died for sins, correct? 
He didn't die to be, as an example. He didn't die so that he could show us what it means to sacrifice. He died to propitiate, to, to bear the burden of sin, to, to, to expiate condemnation. Christ died for sin. And what is sin? Sin is a failure to meet the requirements of God. Sin is a failure to fulfill the requirements and to carry out the commands of God. And here in verse 4, in an economy of words, God has shown us what He requires of us as parents. And a question I have for you, what parent out there, whether your kids are little and small enough to sit on your lap or big enough to go out and work on their own, big enough to be on the verge of moving out and spreading their wings and taking off, what parent out there doesn't feel the weight of their own failure? What parent out there doesn't look in the mirror from time to time and say, what am I doing? How is it that I continue to squander so many opportunities to do what is right by my children or my child? How is it that I have fallen so short with my kids? Why am I such a failure as a mom or a dad. And for those who are feeling the tug of conviction, I I plead with you, come back to what it means to be a Christian. Come back to what it means to be a Christian. And it's this, you go to your Lord humbly and you confess to Him your wrongdoing. His grace is sufficient to cover your sins, even the sins, the sin of being a failure as a parent. Confess that you've misused your authority. Confess that you've squandered opportunities to do right by your kids. Confess that you've lost your temper. Confess that you have, bec- that you have been impulsive. Confess that you have been selfish impudent, proudful. Confess that you have put their that you you have put their interests underneath your own. Confess that you haven't represented him in the loving way that you should have. My friends, you If this weight is on your shoulders, you take this weight and you lay it at the cross. Come back what it means to be a Christian. You take those sins to Him and Scripture says He is just and faithful to forgive even those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and being a bad parent. Anything less than this falls under that category of unrighteousness. Christ, The Scripture says Christ is faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Come back to what it means to be a Christian because the truth is 
Christ Jesus died even for sinful parenting. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I want to put my my arms around this whole body and those of us who are burdened by this commandment, those of us who have fallen short, I pray that you would provide them the grace to get up and to march forward and to endure. I pray that you would supply grace in the way that only you can, that you would meet needs, that you would uphold the weak, that you would lead moms and dads in righteousness and help them to do what is right by their children, help them to be faithful stewards of these little of these precious little ones. I want to pray for them and intercede for them on in that regard, but I also want to thank you for the godly parents that you have given us. I thank you for every godly mom and dad that are that is in this room and though they're not perfect, they are trying to do to walk uprightly and they are trying to obey this commandment. And I thank you, Lord, for the for the mother that you gave me and for the dad that you gave me, though they weren't perfect. They were the they were the means that you used to bring me to faith and to put me in a church where your gospel would be preached. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart, from from the depth of my heart, I thank you for every parent who has brought their children here to this church so that they could come to know you. Amen.